Ever wonder how Mizzou seems to produce quality defensive linemen and NFL backup quarterbacks? How about why former Mizzou wrestlers want to fight Jake Paul? Or are you curious about why Missouri men's basketball losing a 15 seed Norfolk State in the 2012 NCAA tournament wasn't all that bad? Well, I can guarantee two of those three. But if you want the best information on Mizzou football, basketball, and everything else MU, listen to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast featuring me, Tribune Sports Editor Chris Kwasinski. And me, Tribune Mizzou Athletics Beat Reporter Eric Blum. We'll discuss all things Tigers, including Joe Exotic. Did he play for Mizzou? No, but we did have a dentist in town grace the cover of ESPN the magazine. In all seriousness, we'll break down every game, press conference, and big move from Columbia. We'll give expert analysis on Missouri and explain how each result matters to every MU fan. We may sprinkle in some takes on other things, too. Like how Shakespeare's Pizza is a can't-miss Columbia experience, but their pizza is just good. Maybe third best in town. Yeah, that shouldn't offend anybody. But if you want the premier, unfiltered, direct podcast on Mizzou athletics, subscribe to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast with new episodes streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms every Thursday. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports of the every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune Sports Editor, Chris Kwasinski. How are you doing, Chris? I am fine on this Thursday. Thursday, October 7th. You know, last Saturday feels like a while ago, but we got to break it down. We were saying it might be close. We were saying this is a big proving ground game for Missouri. And to say Missouri laid an egg would be an insult to eggs. Uh, Missouri lost 62-24 to to Tennessee. Yes, 62-24 to to Tennessee. A historically bad loss. I mean, I don't know other than the words of just chaos and humiliating and devastating how you describe this loss to a average Tennessee team, Chris. I think you hit it on the head. Historic, down, really discouraging. I know Drinkowitz kind of mentioned that in the in the press conference on Tuesday. You know, he's not uh, disheartened by any means. He's in, in that kind of way. But I mean, how can you how can you move on from something like that? And, and it does help when you have North Texas to move on to. But I mean, what's what's the outlook? Everything changed. We talked about how things have changed with this season coming from Kentucky. When you lose that game, like okay, well, we're not going to win the SEC East this year. And then you go, okay, well, you lose to Boston College. You go, oh, okay, well, we have to win x amount of games to be bowl eligible now is it are we going to be bowl eligible this year yeah i mean missouri's gonna to have to beat a currently ranked team now they are two and three uh, they have four ranked teams left and this week is probably their easiest game left their final non-conference game against north texas and their strength happens to be their offensive line and their running back deandre torrey but we have to go back and talk about more about this tennessee game and my biggest takeaway before we break down the x's and o's is Look at we've talked a lot about Luther Burden, and I want to bring him up right here because he still might choose Missouri. And the the opinion of one kid should not be a detractor or an absolute game changer for any program. However, look at the result from Georgia on Saturday, beating then number eight Arkansas thirty-seven to nothing. Look at what Alabama did to an Ole Miss team that thought they could have competed, you know, against Alabama, and they lost big. Look at Missouri losing at home to Tennessee. If you're Luther Burden and you see those three games, would you go to Alabama or Georgia or or go to Missouri right now? I mean, just I, a lot of people thought with how that Kentucky game ended, I guess, three years ago, they lost it on Kelly Bryant losing that horrible of a game. But he ended up coming here because of just Derek Dooley and Drew Locke anyway. You know, just it, 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 this is the type of game that requires an immediate response and I mean beyond fi- firing Jethro Franklin, which also happened this week, the defensive line coach, and they named Al Davis as the replacement. I mean, on field, correcting everything, anything other than Missouri going into their bye week at four and three is now wheels are completely off. And it's hard. going to be hard to put them back on after that loss. No, and this is the kind of – it really is a loss that puts a fork in the road. I mean – you either get better from here or you or you don't and if you don't show like the improvement that you mentioned you have to show that or else you have to start thinking 
who else besides Jethro? Like, what happens after that? And it's a difficult question to ask, but I mean, that's why you have the seven remaining weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think the trick was kind of hinted at it is should Missouri lose in North Texas? I mean, their season's done. I mean, unless they run the table somehow here. You can't lose to North Texas, who has not beaten an FBS team yet this year. This was supposed to be the cupcake homecoming game, celebrating the program and before you get into the second half of, the, of, of your schedule with A&M, bye week, Vanderbilt, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, and you just run it through and have fun. And now it's just like, it just looks like the, the program's kind of in ruins a little bit. It is interesting just the snap of the fingers that kind of happened this week. We went from talking about how this team, it's a glass half full approach, two plays away really from being four and out. Now they look like a week two and three team, almost at the snap of your fingers. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, especially when, especially when you consider the, the different teams that we saw when you watched the Kentucky game, and that was a good game. People, yeah, you can be disappointed about that Mizzou lost that game, but it was a good game. They're competitive against a team that just beat Florida. Yeah, and, and when you watched Saturday, it was, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but I just kept watching, going into the third quarter, thinking. They, there's no way. There's no way they can. There's nothing that Mizzou could do to stop that Tennessee offense on Saturday. I don't know if it's just a perfect storm. The tempo that Tennessee was running, mixed with the dual threat quarterback they had and Hendon Hooker, and then plus the, the running game that they had, and maybe it was a perfect storm. But I just remember sitting and thinking, there's they can't stop this. They can't stop an inch. They can't. They can't stop like anything at all. It's interesting you say the perfect storm because I don't think Tennessee is capable of producing the perfect storm to beat Missouri. Like, they're not Georgia and they're not Alabama. They're a team that's still, I think, at best finishing fourth in the SEC East this year. They're a bottom half SEC team that just blew the brakes off of Missouri. And that is the most embarrassing thing. This was not, all right, Georgia, everybody's losing to Georgia. This is a Tennessee team that only beat South Carolina by six on the road the week before. Like or sorry, that was uh, Kentucky beat them. They play South Carolina this week. This is a Tennessee team who was two and two had a very similar schedule. This is a Tennessee team that was still figuring out their defense. This is a Tennessee team who thought they were getting into a shootout with Missouri. Their offense showed up. Missouri's didn't. We can talk about that. But just the defense was just god awful. I mean, it is just one thing after another after another. Where Missouri's zero and five against the spread this year, including against SEMO, including against Central Michigan. They just just haven't figured anything out. I mean, the overall grade going into maybe the midterm grade here for Missouri's defense, can you say anything better than an F for their defense right now? The the only the only thing that I can think of is like a D minus when you factor in like JC Carley's playing well and some of the like Blaze Aldridge those those kinds of players, but then again, like the two players just they don't make up an entire defense. Right. I mean, the defensive line is absolutely an F, and that's why Jethro Franklin got fired. I mean, Devin Nicholson's had an all right year. Martez has had an all right year. But you look at the product as a whole, and it's just, it, 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 it just is not working. And so, obviously, you need to play on two sides of the ball. You, if your defense can't do well, you're not going to win many games. And so, just, it, it, it's crazy to me because I was, I was around for the 2019 year. And at the end, what happened at the end of that year it seemed like there was a hex on Missouri where they couldn't score points and that was a horrible looking offense I think Saturday's performance against Tennessee was worse than anything I saw in 2019 Wow! like I saw them play Florida where they could not move the ball to save their life I saw them play against Georgia where they could not move the ball to save their life again but that was also Georgia they saw them score 24 against a bad Arkansas team that a quarter of their roster was out because of the mumps <laughs> like I I I saw some horrible offensive performances in 2019. It was it just like they gave up 28 points in the first quarter. They gave up 45 in the first half, which is the most since 1986. They gave up, what, 679, 677 total offense. And, I mean, this is just not a good Tennessee team. Let's call it a spade a spade. Like, this Tennessee team is not that good. And they just blew the brakes off of Missouri. No. Like, I'm not trying to insult Tennessee, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm not sure why you are would be as if you're a Tennessee fan beyond the last week. But your team's probably going to make a bowl, but your team still is leagues away from being the best in the SEC. And you just blew the brakes off of Missouri. You just made them look horrible. Congratulations. Like, 
if anything, that was more Missouri's fault than Tennessee absolutely taking it to them. And that's the worst part about it. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where you can, you have to ask the question is, and Drinkwitz mentioned this earlier in the, in the week where he said, with the defensive line specifically, where he said you know, there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect from the coaching staff to the, to the defensive line. And, and you wonder, you know, what, what, what is that? Why was it such a disconnect? And, and where, how do you even... How do you even improve that? Because that can't be the only problem. It wasn't the only problem. I mean, maybe it's – that's kind of what I asked him at the press conference on Tuesday is there's mundane parts of every job. But was this move kind of your warning shot about accountability and responsibility in the program? And he kind of didn't answer me that way. He's like, I still love coaching here. I was like, eh, okay, whatever. But uh, – and something I really want to talk about this week, unfortunately, is – Kind of just, I mean, maybe this is probably intentional from Mizzou Athletics, but as a beat writer, it's been very frustrating because we got Drinkwitz on Tuesday, and it was the shortest press conference we've had midweek. Odom or Drinkwitz, since I've been on the beat, maybe lasted 14 minutes. I think an average is probably around 25, how long those usually go. Then they make Steve Wilkes unavailable as the defensive coordinator. We get no defensive players this week. We only get Case Cook, who I did request, so give credit where credit's due. We get the punter, Grant McKinnis. Last night on Drinkwitz's radio show, they make Eric Link available, and they're not going to make assistant coaches available, I guess, to regular reporters. They only do it for the radio show. And the player they have on is the long snapper, Jake Hoffman. And nothing against Jake Hoffman. He was a great guest, had a, had a very nice conversation, but... It's very clear, and, and this is why it's intentional, of they're really trying to move the messaging away from how horrible of a performance they really just had. And they're not trying to hide it, in my opinion. Like, if, if they were trying to hide it, maybe they would have done Case Cook again for the radio segment, or maybe Martez because he's a team captain. But there was just, there, there's really trying to get a focus away from that performance. And I think. That admittance tells you all you need to know about what happened going into homecoming. How quickly can we get this, I guess, deluge of, I don't want to call it negative coverage because it's all accurate. You guys lost. You guys lost big goal. Not a great team. But this deluge of bad press out of the way so we can focus on homecoming and being North Texas. And it, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way, but that's kind of my job as a reporter, I guess. I no, and I wrote about this in my column from, on, on Tuesday. In, in it, it kind of alludes to the fact where, like you mentioned, you know, it's like it's it's their call to do something like that. Because at the end of the day, we did hear from the person in charge, and that was Drinkwitz. We did hear from him, and we did hear from players. It would been, it would have, but it would have really would have been nice to hear from Steve Wilkes. And the only reason I like to hear that is because every time that I've sat in on his media availabilities on on Tuesdays, you know, he identifies things. He identifies things. He will he will speak that and talk about it, and and says you no know, uh, like. The week before, he's in Tennessee. They play fast. They do this, X, Y, and Z. He lists things that they're watching, lists things that they're preparing for, and that way you can ask them about that. And then he'll tell you what they did wrong. And then you can expand on it, and you can really just hone in questions on specific things. And when it's not there, it's, you know, what what are you, what are you trying to hide? It's not, that, not that you're trying to hide anything at all. But obviously, we saw it on the field. But, like, why are you trying to keep them from us to, to, to talk about this kind of stuff? Because at some point, you have to answer the question. Maybe I'm being too nice here, but the only, what's something that just popped in my mind is because of the current policies of the Missouri Athletics that what they did in 19 was it was essentially a free-for-all. Like, we could talk to assistant coaches whenever we wanted, the players, the, the media relations staff just had to grab them and get them at the time. We could have really face-to-face interviews, and that problem never existed. It's kind of with how they do things now in a post-COVID era, in a non-Zoom post-COVID era where they kind of have to control and they're still in protocols just to make sure they keep every, everybody quote-unquote safe, even though I know everybody on the beat is vaccinated. Uh, it, it, it's just, that's that, that was kind of their way out of this situation in a sense. And the daily people who are here, and I've mentioned them by name before, but me being very much one of them, and you being the sports editor at the Tribune, Chris, it's frustrating when, and you've seen the byproduct of it, of, People haven't really been writing player features or really doing anything to cover the team this week. There's, there hasn't been that dilute. So I guess no press sometimes is better than bad, bad press. And I guess that's the strategy here. And I can only assume that if they lose in North Texas, that that's going to be the strategy the rest of the year. So, I mean, I, I just it's an interesting time at Mizzou Athletics. That's all I will say. It's an interesting time and I'm sure a frustrating time internally. But I still have a job to do, and I'm trying to provide the best information to our readers. So it, it, it's it, it's 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 an 
uh, unusual waters. I'll put it like that. It is unusual, and, and it's never fun. I mean, it's never it's never fun to watch this too. But uh, it's something that you got these. You, the questions change with every game, with every storyline, with every result. You know, the questions change, the things change, everything changes, and the, and it's part of it's it's part of college football. I mean, everything changes. Everything changed when Georgia shut out Arkansas last week. We were right. all thinking about, hey, is Arkansas for real? And for time, turns out, well, no, they're not a contender. They're still a good team, but they're not a contender. I mean, same with Ole Miss. Like, it may, is that one of the best offenses we're ever going to see in the SEC? No, no. So. It, Things change. I mean, huh. yeah, things things do change, but quickly. but uh, we'll get out of the Tennessee talk for a little bit. I did talk to Brett Vito of the Denton Record Chronicle earlier this week. Missouri is playing a game this Saturday, homecoming against North Texas, kickoff at three o'clock at Fro Field. He covers the Mean Green for the paper down in Denton. I talked to him about the matchup, and uh, yeah, let's get into that interview. Here's my interview from earlier this week with Brett Vito. Welcome to the Mizzou Sports Podcast. This time is the North Texas Athletics Beat Reporter for the Denton Record Chronicle, Brett Vito. How you doing, Brett? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, anytime. Just we'll, we'll start with uh, just kind of tell us about this year's North Texas team. I, I just from our research, it looks like that they haven't beaten an FBS team this, this year. So just how are how are things going in Denton? Yeah, it's been kind of tough sledding for North Texas to start the season, and I, I don't think it's a big surprise that it turned out that way. Um, just because of the schedule, the thing that's been rough on North Texas this year is they've scheduled an, an SES team to start the season with Northwestern State, but these next six games here are all against teams that went to bowl games last year or were invited to a bowl game that was canceled. Um, you know, started off with SNU, their big rival, and then they got the defending conference champion UAB, and then they ended up, then they had Louisiana Tech right after that, and Louisiana Tech's one of the more consistent group of five programs you'll ever find. They, they're in a bowl game every year. And then now they're going to Missouri for a game against an SEC school. Then they turn around and play Marshall, which is in the conference championship game last year. They're not, they don't look like they're nearly as good as they were last year. Uh, and then they turn around and play Liberty at home. And we all know how good Liberty is with that quarterback. So that's been kind of the challenge this year. It's just the, the schedule to start the year, and they just have really kind of struggled with that. A big question for everyone in Missouri is, so how is uh, North Texas's run game? You know, that's really their strength, and um, and that's also not a surprise. They have a very experienced offensive line with some, some pretty good players up front um, that have been mainstays of the program. Uh, Manasseh Mos, uh, he's back. They've got some other quality players up front, and they have a bunch of pretty good running backs. And uh, the guy that's leading the way this year is DeAndre Torrey, who's been around for quite a while at North Texas. He's, uh, you know, he put up 244 yards rushing in their uh, season over against Northwestern State. He rushed for 119 yards against uh, Louisiana Tech uh, in their last game. He's just a very good player. He was the guy that uh, kind of took an interesting path to North Texas. Um, he was a junior college player who played a year down in Mississippi, and uh, he could have gone back for another year, but he ended up – he was a qualifier out of high school. He was available, and North Texas saw him on the recruiting trail. They weren't planning on taking a running back um, from the junior college ranks that year, but they decided that DeAndre was the, the high enough quality of player that they needed to change course and go ahead and take him as, as a recruit. And they got him over some other, you know, quality mid-major programs. And now you look at – the you look at his career, and um, you know he was entering entering his last year here. He decided to come back for his fifth year at North Texas. He came into the year with 23 rushing touchdowns, which was tied for eighth, uh, tied for seven, uh, was ranked seventh in career rushing touchdowns, eighth in total touchdowns, twelfth in career rushing yards. He's got over 2,000 yards there, and he's ninth in career all-purpose yards, well over 3,000. And North Texas has come to depend on him even more than you would even think because they lost. Their other really good running back in their rotation, Oscar Attaway, to a torn ACL before the season even began. He went down in preseason practice. So at this point, they're leaning on DeAndre uh, quite a bit and their running game quite a bit. And DeAndre has, you know, has come up big for him. And he's right now he's he has 516 yards on the season and four rushing touchdowns. And that's kind of where it all starts for them offensively. A lot's been made in Columbia. I mean, it's been a horrible week for Missouri. I mean, losing to Tennessee by 38 at home, 
is there belief in Denton that they're catching Missouri at the right time, or is there you see any kind of momentum down there thinking that they can knock off, I guess, technically a much bigger team than them, even though, you know, most Vegas polls have this as a three-touchdown kind of spread as of right now? Well, I think, you know, just with where North Texas is at, I don't think there's a lot of, of confidence among the North Texas faithful. Now, I'm sure inside the locker room these guys think that they can pull it off. Because, you know, some of these guys are still um, around from the year that North Texas knocked off Arkansas at Arkansas a few years ago. That was probably one of the biggest non-conference wins in North Texas history. It was against an SEC school. Uh, the difference was largely that, that they had – you know, the whole they had some of the greatest players in North Texas history, Ruth in North Texas history, were all around for that game. Their quarterback who was he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer here. He'll be in as soon as he gets in, um, as soon as he's eligible, Mason Fine. He was the guy that really stirred this the straw that stirred the drink then. And they had um him, they had uh, a couple of NFL wide receivers, just a ton of really good players. And they ended up pulling off that upset and beating Arkansas at Arkansas. Like, granted, Arkansas was terrible that year. But, um, you know, I think this is a little bit different. I don't think there's a, a lot of confidence among the North Texas faithful at this point that they can go to Missouri and win that kind of game because they don't have the same type of team as they, they did in the past. Sounds good. Uh, you, you kind of are looking just more at the whole entire team from North Texas. Who are some of the other players besides kind of the running back and the offensive line that Missouri fans should quick, uh, you know, get familiar with ahead of Saturday's matchup. Well, yeah, I mean, DeAndre's the big one. Um, they've rotated quarterbacks this year. Both of them kind of struggled a little bit. Uh, the guy they've started all year, is, he's a North Carolina transfer. His name's Jace Ruder. Um, he's got about 500 and, well, he's got 544 yards and three touchdowns on the season. Austin Ani. Um, who played baseball in the minor leagues for six seasons and with the Yankees. He's there are other quarterbacks who's played quite a bit. Um, as far as receivers go, they do have a former walk-on who's, who's a pretty good player. Was number 14, his name is Roderick Burns. Um, he's been their leading receiver on the year. And defensively, uh, they have uh, a couple of guys. And they're not they're not related, but uh, Katie Davis and Tyreek Davis are two of their linebackers. And both those guys are pretty good mid-major players. Uh, Katie Davis has 35 tackles two sacks and six tackles for loss on the season, and Tyreek has 25 tackles. You know, both those guys are pretty good players. They'll be a big part of North Texas's plans. Yeah. What, what do you think, you know, if, if North Texas is going to, and I know maybe the obvious answer is run the ball down Missouri's throat and see if they can stop it because they haven't stopped anybody this year. But, you know, is that, you think, the easiest path? you think if North Texas is going to win this game? Or is there something else that's out there? Well, you know, I think that's the that's the uh, you know the obvious path for North Texas because they they have been effective running the ball at times and you know they do have a lot of veteran offensive linemen and that's one thing that uh, Missouri has really struggled with. I think what will be really interesting this game is you know UAB, who is one of the better mid major teams out there, um, you know especially in their you know the defender and conference USA champion the way they beat North Texas. Was they just, they put three three guys at the line of scrimmage and played a really light box. They had only like maybe five guys near the line of scrimmage um, for that whole game. They dropped like you know eight guys into coverage most of that game, and and North Texas still couldn't run the ball against those guys. Now, granted, UAB is is really freaking good for a mid major school, and uh, has a terrific defense. They're usually among the national leaders, but UAB held them to um, despite the fact they only played. You know, five guys at the line held them to 121 rushing yards for that entire game and limited them to 99 passing yards. They basically took away the passing game. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of wonder what how Missouri will approach this. But if North Texas is going to win, I think that's the way they've got to do it. I mean, they got to run the ball, control the clock, and hit on some big plays, which is going to be difficult to do because they've lost two of their big play wide receivers to season-ending injuries earlier this season. And then, you know, the other thing that really happens when you see uh, G5 teams upset, you know, SEC-type schools, is you got to bust a whole bunch of big plays and come up with some turnovers and just have things kind of bounce your way. I think that's probably North Texas's best hope. One of the most obvious connections between the schools has to be Ren Baker. Uh, now the UNT athletic director was at Missouri right before going to Denton. I mean, just, I know you're writing some stuff about him this week. Just what light can you kind of shed on what, what he remembers from his time at Missouri? 
You know, he wasn't there for a real long time. Um, I, I think the thing that, that he pointed to, and I, and which makes a lot of sense, is Ren came up through um, kind of the unconventional route in, in college athletics. He was at uh, a bunch of smaller schools and kind of kept moving up through the ranks, moving up through the ranks, moving up through the ranks. And I think one thing that he mentioned that he really learned in Missouri, you know, being an SEC-type school, is he just being able to help manage a, a really big organization. And I think that was one of the things that he kind of took away from from Missouri. There is just how to be able to, um, you know, to kind of manage a, a massive amount of people and keep every, you know, delegate to the right people and make sure that everything keeps going in the right direction. I think that's probably one of the big things he took away from there. But, you know, I, he um, he's definitely done a really good job here. You know, they've had a lot of success in a lot of different sports. He hired Grant McCaslin. Uh, the basketball coach, men's basketball coach here who led North Texas to, you know, its first NCAA tournament win, uh, last season when they, when they, you know, pulled off beating Purdue. So he, and he's had a lot of success with other, other programs and other hires. So he's, he's done a real nice job here, but I thought that was one of the interesting things he talked about was just the, what do you learn from, um, working in an SEC school and having a large organization and having all those resources. Now, you don't have all those resources in North Texas, but I think when you see how all those resources are are expended at a place like Missouri, then it gives you a better perspective on how you can take what you have at a mid-major type school and use it effectively, if that makes any sense. Do you have a prediction for how Saturday's game is going to end up? Yeah, I mean, I'll write the, you know, I'll, I do that for I, we do a standard prediction column every week. I mean, I think, you know, Vegas probably has this about right. I, with North Texas just being down so many players, I mean, they lost. They were really dependent on um, Jair Shorter, a really good wide receiver who's coming back off a off a leg injury he, last season, and he's he's he may make it back. But what he, you know, had a foot injury in practice. He may make it back for a game or two at the end of the season, and they lost. Uh, their Georgia transfer wide receiver, Tommy Bush, you know, he's another SEC guy. You know, they lost him for the year. Uh, I just don't think they have enough firepower slash horsepower to, to, to hang with a team like Missouri, especially on the road. You know, this may be a 14 to 21 point game in the favor of Missouri would be my guess. Sounds good. Well, where can everybody catch a video online, Brett, and read everything from the opponent's perspective this week? Uh, yeah, our website's pretty simple. It's Denton, just like the town, D-E-N-T-O-N, and then R-C is in recordchronicle.com, so uh, DentonRC.com. And then I'm easy to find on Twitter. It's just my straight up my name. It's just at Brett Vito, B-R-E-T-T, and then V-I-T-O. So you can find me on Twitter there. And I tweet all my stories. That might be the best way to kind of find me online. All right, thank you so much for your time, Brett, and I will see you on Saturday. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Brett. I'd like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship 
championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to Brett for joining us on this week's Museum Sports Podcast. I remember him from back when I actually used to live in Texas, and it's great to reconnect with him. So, yeah, he'll be coming up here for the game on Saturday. What about the actual the matchup with North Texas? Does it actually interest you, Chris? Are you still just focused on the Tennessee loss from last week? I think it's funny uh, because when I was looking through the players and the key players in the matchups for this game, um, it turns out uh, the strength of the team is an offensive line and a running back, which happens to be public enemy number one for all things Mizzou defense. Yeah, no, it's crazy because Missouri looks like they need a cupcake game right now, which SEMO was, but SEMO had a quote-unquote strength at running back and all too, but DeAndre, Tor- DeAndre Torrey from North Texas appears to be pretty dang good. And I mean, yes, he's smaller than the player you'll find in the SEC, but then again, kind of so is Tyler Beatty, so I wouldn't hold that against him. It just, I mean, how upset prone do you actually think Mizzou is here? I mean, I know... And, and the picks this week, you and I both chose North Texas to cover, but I don't think if it was head-to-head, you and I would have chosen North Texas. No, I wouldn't pick North Texas to win this game. I, I, the only reason I picked them to cover is is thinking about how I'm pretty sure Mizzou could be up by 20, 30 points in the fourth quarter, going into the fourth quarter, and then kind of doing what they did against SEMO and just kind of put the second stringers and get some guys some playing time, and then that leads itself to a few garbage-time touchdowns, which you know, only need two to to cover if you're north texas and that's the case yeah for sure i i think that this this kind of ends in the 30s mizzou 20s north texas realm here i mean i think i predicted i did an interview with the paper in denton and i think i picked 38 21 missouri which, yeah. which would be north texas covering barely but it would be them covering uh i i guess i still have a little bit of faith that missouri can turn this around um you know just just from looking just they have talent they just clearly didn't have the right scheme it's just how far the defensive line regressed. I mean, we talked about we talked about Trajan Jeffcoat a little bit in, on this podcast, and how he was one of the best per position players in the SEC last year, and it's had virtually no impact this year whatsoever. And I mean, I don't want to pick on those guys again, but Kobe Whiteside coming back from injury, refreshed, ready to go after six and a half sacks in 2019. Nothing this year. Just, just he. It's not like they, they've they've all played terrible, but it's not like. He doesn't have the talent. Chris Turner has so much under his belt. I mean, Darius Robinson got hurt, but Isaiah McGuire has time under his belt. A couple of freshmen, Kai Wingo and Johnny Walker, have played all right. But just the entire unit just has not meshed in a way that, I mean, call me stupid, but if your defensive line can't stop anything, 11 on 7 going forward really isn't good for Missouri. That's kind of where it's been. No, and that's why I'm really excited to see Al Davis and kind of see what he's going to do with this team, you know, what what he's going to bring. Because there's a couple of videos that we saw from practice the other day where he, he was he – was an energized guy. You know, he's a guy that's bringing more energy. He's talking to the team, and not saying that that Jethro Franklin didn't do that, but uh, I mean, when it comes to it, I mean, this is it's a new voice, it's a new personality that is going to get a chance to interact with this team. And I mean, frankly, the guy's Twitter handle is at Line Guru for a reason. So, <laughs> but well, Steve Wilkes is at Score on D, and how many score defensive touchdowns does Missouri have this year? Uh, zero, I believe. Zero, there it is, yeah. Uh, but but still, it, it's still a, like Drinkwitz was kind of saying earlier. It's like it's a new it's a new personality. It's a new way for someone. Maybe he can connect that with the defensive line because once you start there, then uh, it's it, I don't want to say things become easier, but that's a whole section of things that just gets out of the way. And he's had a lot of success as that. But again, it was at the junior college level at Hutchinson Community College in Kansas. So I mean, he coached defensive line at Illinois a little bit too. But yeah, yeah, and they had 18 sacks in his one year, I believe. Um, I think there was like six. 
sixth, sixth in the Big Ten. That's um, pretty good. Yeah. But better than Wisconsin and, and Michigan and in a COVID year, sure. But I, I mean, he's had a, he's had that experience, and his defenses are really good at junior college level. I don't know if you saw this. Like, yeah. they were really good. I mean, they only had like two yards of carry uh in in 18 and 19 when i was looking at them and uh they had like some between 90 over 90 sacks in those two years combined and it was, it's some it's crazy stuff so he knows that he knows what to do he knows football is can he can he coach at the, the sec level and i mean Drinkwitz has the faith in him to do that i, I w- where else would you have turned though i mean yes you can just go out and get somebody it's not like Drinkwitz didn't have options but it's also kind of a quick fix kind of thing like a lot of people thought it might be steve wilkes getting fired and that still might happen this season, no doubt about it. But if you look and see just where his options kind of were, I mean, unless you bring in somebody these guys don't know, Al Davis was a pretty darn good option. So I'm not saying that he only got the job because he was here, but it definitely didn't hurt either. No, but but still, like you said, like it's a guy with experience. He's had a Big Ten experience. And, I mean, where else could you go in such a short amount of time? Yeah, no, and that's probably why minus a loss – to North Texas, minus just getting blown up by South Carolina, losing to Vanderbilt again. You know, you know, Steve Wilkes' job is probably secure, you would think, for the rest of the year, minus another Tennessee-style loss. Yeah. And who knows? That might happen. You know, I, I, I don't know. I just, just that that's how shocking it, Saturday was to me. Like, 62 to a Tennessee team that just isn't that great. Like, I, I've said, I said it a couple times already in the show. It, it's, it, it is just... Where do you go from here? Yeah. I, I I don't I don't know what Mizzou thinks they're doing. I mean, I think they'll be lucky to make a bowl at this point. Boggles the mind. I mean, it, especially when like last week we were talking about what who do you have to beat to get a bowl? And I mean, at this point, I mean you, it, yeah, things have changed. Like all of a sudden, Texas A M Texas A and M is now slightly a more winnable game than it was at the beginning of the season. But then again, can they stop any kind of run game at all in that in that in that kind of game? But uh, but I mean, still, you'd assume South Carolina and Vanderbilt are two winnable games, especially South Carolina home and Vanderbilt. I mean, Vanderbilt, meaning, Vanderbilt, it, it, right? And so I, that's maybe two more wins. I mean, on top of that, so then, well, so, so that means that they need it. So I, I, I think Georgia and Florida are still completely off the table for them, regardless of Florida being here. So it's Arkansas or AM, one of those two, and you win the rest of the games that you probably will be favored in: South Carolina, Vanderbilt, North Texas. You win those three, either. Uh, A&M or Arkansas and you got it and that seems like a tall order for this group right now it does it, it, especially with just seeing how far a team like Arkansas has come I mean granted you see him you see him get boat raced last weekend but I mean who who's going to beat that Georgia defense at this moment like no. Alabama Alabama maybe and and it really depends I mean come the SEC championship game I can't wait for that but still like it, I can't remember how many people have have scored points on Georgia. I think it's like twenty three total. Clemson scored three. Um, who did they play the next week? I don't remember. I mean, Vanderbilt scored zero. Arkansas scored zero. Like just uh, Missouri. You're telling me Missouri's offense is better than Arkansas at this point? I don't think so. It's probably level. I mean, Connor. We haven't talked even about the offensive problems this weekend with Connor Bay's like not throwing a touchdown pass. The offensive line had their worst game of the season. Most Missouri players had their worst game of the season, and and. You know, just things overall need to be a ton better, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities to say the program's right now looking pretty bleak as it has under drink, which the honeymoon period has snapped. It is over, no doubt about it. And now you just, when the honeymoon period phase ends in any relationship, you pick up the pieces and see if you can survive. The lucky thing for Drinkwitz is he has a lot of faith. He has a lot of those pieces still together. So when it's splintered, there might be an easier time putting it back together long term than in most situations short term he might just be a little bit screwed for the rest of this year yeah and it, it kind of i mean if you're looking at the rest of the season plus the future i mean yeah you could bank a lot on the recruiting class that we talked about the kind of guys that he's bringing in and saying hey you know that it's going to get better and, and granted it, it is tough and, and you kind of think of you know how did how did he overachieve in the first season going you know 500 but i mean that's a lot of you know a covid year a lot of players missed and a lot of people that aren't, weren't used to coaching against what Drinkwitz was bringing in offensively and uh, it also helped that you know you got a quarterback a guy, you got a, a young quarterback that came onto the scene and 
Um, but I mean, and now even like you said, it's, no one really had a good game last week, and you kind of seen him regress the couple last couple weeks, throwing four interceptions in two games, and um, it's it's difficult. But I mean, that's it's a good place to start. There is taking care of the football. That would that would be a great place to start. So we'll go on to a little bit brighter note here. You know, now looking forward to this weekend. Where do you think Missouri can make the most most improvements this weekend? It's not just holding on to the football, which I know you mentioned. Yeah, uh, def- definitely pass defense. And I know it's it kind of stings to l- lose Ennis Rakestraw for the year with a torn ACL. And uh, but, but you you have transfer. You guys have guys that have transferred in, guys that have gotten playing time that are veterans. And you look at North Texas, and they're not they're not a very good passing team. So I mean. Yeah, you're gonna have to trust your your defensive backs again, like like a lot. Like stack the line, stack the box, just stop the run at all costs, and then hope for the best after that. But I mean that that that's that's a strategy that'll work because you have the better players, and that's and North Texas will have the chip on his shoulder the size of uh, the biggest rock you can probably imagine. But I mean it, that's what happens when you play an SEC school, and you're gonna get their best shot. And but at the end of the day, you have the better players, so. I'm, it all starts with pass defense because they're not a good passing school. What is the biggest rock you can imagine? The moon? I don't know. The rock? Dwayne Johnson? He's oh. pretty big. Oh, I don't know if the moon counts as a rock, but Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Absolutely. He is big. That's a big dude. He went to what school? <laughs> Miami. Good. Uh, make, make sure, yeah. And then uh, do you know where Roman Reigns went to school? No, I don't. <laughs> okay, Georgia Tech. Um, he, was, he was team captain with Calvin Johnson at the same time. Anyway, uh... I guess just now, yeah, before this goes off the rails, uh, we do want to plug my uh, Saturday story this week, which I had the opportunity to shadow Desiree Reed-Francois, Mizzou's new AD. It was actually a really, really fun experience. It was, I learned a lot about her. I think she learned a little couple of things about me, too, like that I don't run marathons for fun, and she does. (laughs) Uh, I've had a waddle kind of the last little bit, little week with her, just how (laughs) sore my legs are. But it it was, do anything for a story, and it was a lot of fun. And so, what what did you kind of glean from reading it before the readers read it, Chris? Yeah, I I glean that this is someone that that ha, that's really been around a lot of athletics. Someone that really knows, and I know a little bit for, about Desiree from her time in UNLV. We crossed paths a little bit when I was in Utah, and uh, and this is someone that spearheaded a lot of the conversations around sports gambling. I mean, this is someone who's always a forward thinker. This is someone who is going to really help usher that that next phase of athletics at Mizzou. And uh, frankly, I'm surprised that another Power 5 school hasn't asked her to be their AD. And I know other schools probably have. UCLA was looking at her two year, or a year ago. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is someone who frankly gets it frankly gets the future of college athletics and it, it's in it it, it it was crazy to to be out there at 5 a.m and, and watch you guys start running i mean are, are your legs okay are they recover I'm, I'm fine okay I'm, I'm i'm okay but uh and i want to say this we, we do have a guest in studio madeline carter uh who does some freelance uh photography for us and i want to give her a shout out but um one thing i really tried to avoid in the story with all costs is and it's tough when you're giving at you know you know, personifications like she and her and everything like that. But I really wanted to write this as if she's an AD. And there's been so much made about her gender and the first female, the first female of Hispanic, you know, you know, descended to do this in a power five school. And I really wanted to avoid all that. I really wanted to say, here's Desiree. And like, she even like joked about it, like flippantly, like, uh, like she doesn't know how to be a man. Clearly she doesn't, but it's like, okay, here is just who this person is, regardless of their gender. And hopefully I accomplished that. And I really wanted to show that in that way. No, and it was really good. And it's really interesting the way that you painted the, the whole morning. I mean, the day of. I mean, this was, like we mentioned so many times, this is a disastrous day for Mizumi yes. watching that entire game play out from kickoff to finish. But but the way that you illustrated this, and I wanted to ask, what was the most insightful part of this? Was it kind of being around the jog, seeing how, hey, she starts her day, but she also interacts with so many people. She's out there. She's talking to people that, she, that, that are technically working. Working for her, like, what was the most insightful part of this for you? I, I mean, she changed a little bit of her run situation for me. Usually, it's earlier. Like, we started at five fifty-five in the morning. Like, usually, she's done by then. Like, back home, showered, and going to Starbucks and in the office. Like, you do that, and you don't stop, and you like to run marathons for fun. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to play the tape. I can play it for you, Chris, later. But I'm like heaving pretty hard after like ten minutes, and she likes to run marathons for fun. And I don't think I'm in bad shape, but like compared to her, I am. 
So it, it was it was interesting seeing just like, yeah, I'm just doing this run for fun where I go run around the stadium a couple times and then I go about my day like nothing happened. Like usually after work, you go to bed. After workout, she starts her day. Like she starts her day with a hardcore workout. And I, and I was impressed by that regardless of who that is. Like cause you, I mean, it's one thing because you are around these athletes that are clearly like you don't realize how just insanely athletic a guy like Kiki Chisholm is until you're standing right next to him. You don't understand how just insane the athletes Mizzou are compared to the normal human being until you're around them and you cover them. And seeing that she has a little bit of that Division One spirit still left in her when she, when she was a rower at UCLA, like, that's pretty darn cool. And so it, it was cool to see her interacting at all the tailgates and listening, and I'm sure she has had to memorize more names over the past five weeks or however long she's been here. It's probably closer to about two months now. She was officially hired August 8th. Uh, just how crazy that process has been for her, but she's still kind of processing it, but she's grateful for it. And so I just see somebody who I think understands how hard the journey is going to be here, but is willing to put in the work to get it done. And I'm, and I'm impressed. I'm going to have a fun time covering her, that's for sure. Yeah, and especially when, when you look at uh, from from the start to finish, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that she was really out like game day. Like you, someone could be focusing like, hey, there's a game today. I don't have to get up and work out. I don't have to do this. But she was. She was there. She was ready to go. She was ready before any of us were. Yeah, no, uh, she, we didn't realize she was waiting for us. I mean, we, we got to the parking lot about 540 in the morning and we didn't realize like she was in her office just waiting for us. Like she, when she came outside, we're like, oh, she's ready. OK. And then we went and uh, jogged with her. Yeah. And I, and I, and I was as you conveniently put it, Chris, I ran away with her at full speed, and by the time she was walking away from me coming back up the hill, uh, and it's a very accurate way of putting it, and she was only walking and trying to make me look better. She was jogging up that. I didn't realize how absolutely steep. I've driven down it several times, but going up McDeaver, like on that side of Missouri Arena, how steep that hill is, and she's running like no problem. And I'm, and I'm just like, <gasps> just, it was it was bad. You can laugh at me. It's okay. I mean, but I had to do anything to get the story. It's it's okay. I mean, no, I knew what I was but, getting into. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. But 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 when you move from from that to the game day experience, and you kind of watched her kind of kind of walk, and, and this, like you mentioned, this is someone that has to get a grasp of this athletic department. Like yeah. this is someone that really needs to that that it still is figuring out. You know what what are the strengths? What do I have? And what do I go with? I mean, do you, did you get the sense from when you met her like that that she that she's like it's it's coming together she's getting it she knows what to do now so i have two answers to that question number one i had met her before and i had had conversations with her before this was a one-on-one this was a uh, this was a very raw experience because like i don't have a bunch of cameras this is just her and i on a jog like the equivalent i can give you is if it's like carpool carpool karaoke but no cameras around like it's just us talking about Mizzou and about our lives because we talked about a lot of stuff that didn't go in the story like she learned a lot about me I learned some things about her just outside of the job and just to get a better sense of who she is and you know so so did I get a sense of she she can do this yes I I did but I think she also doesn't want to set expectations too high publicly yet to where it's like we want to compete for championships and that's a very big statement but she had, needs to take the time to identify we need to do blank these 17,000 steps to get there. And I think that she's in the process of evaluating what those steps are for each program and maybe the athletic department as a whole. Yeah. And what was your favorite part about uh, about the game day interactions? What was it, you know, the, the band? Was it about, you know, meeting, meeting the fans? And uh, what, what was it like? What was your favorite part about that? Okay. So I do have a favorite part, and it's more so that I'm upset about what my favorite part is. And so... Um, Going into her suite and going into um, seeing and getting some alone time with her there was really, really awesome. But just seeing the spread she had uh, in her athletic director suite of, like, any kind of donut you wanted. And they were making, like, fresh omelets and, like, had good brisket. And then I see, no offense to Levy, but we what we get in the press box, uh, my, my jaw literally hit the floor. Like... I was like, oh, they're, no wonder. Like, I'll, I'll, that's what they get, and that's what we get. Like, I'm I'm appreciative of everything they have at the press box, and I will never say anything bad, especially because they feed us and we're there to have the game. No problem. I was like, huh? That's. I was just like, uh, my, I, was, I didn't say it like that. I was like, oh my gosh! Like, look at all this amazing food, and seeing that spread was pretty cool. That they're like, okay, they're really taking care of her in that way. Yeah, and, and what do you what do you think the transition is going to be like coming into basketball season? Because I mean, coming at UNLV is a big basketball school. They're so, very much a shell of their former selves. Very though. much, but so uh, is Mizzou. Let's be real. <laughs> but 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 still, like it's still a basketball town. I mean, just kind of being around Vegas and, and kind sure. of being around that, and 
but but what what do you think the transition is going to be like for her? Well, what what when it comes to like you mentioned walking those seventeen thousand steps? I, I mean, is it just going to be difficult now? I, I I think that she did more with less at UNLV. Now that they have all the tools, she can do a little more with a little more at Mizzou, if that makes sense. And so I I think that she has a sense for the job. She's like, okay, at UNLV. We were kind of on an island. At the end of the day, we weren't the state school. We're in a city that's known for so much more besides us. How do we draw people in? Now you're the only show in town. How do you take advantage of that? And so, I mean, the Chris Stapleton concert next weekend was scheduled well before she got here. But she's talked about bringing people like Fro Field and stuff like that. How do you draw in revenue in unique ways? And that's what she was brought here to do. So it'll be interesting to see how unique she gets in her strategy yeah well i'm i'm glad you did this and i'm glad you woke up that early and you know i hope you stretch a little bit before and after but i definitely stretched <laughs> before and after and i i feel fine I, i'm fine i was fine the day after but you know maybe it was just the adrenaline going i really didn't feel sore until the next morning and then i just as soon as i just wake up my, my legs couldn't move but you know i made it work i made it work anything to, anything in the name of a story anything in the name of a story absolutely my my number one loyalty is not even with myself in that situation if i got to kill over to get this story i'll kill over like right. I, i'll never endanger myself like i was i never felt like i was gonna like and that's Mizzou pass out but I, you gotta do it <laughs> that's Mizzou beat reporter eric blum right there beat reporter on the scene yes <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of this week's episode? Uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, just kind of the Luther Burden part of it. And, uh-huh. um, and, and, and how, how, I know we talked about we're both going to be there, but um, how, how big is, if any at all, has this changed for you? It hasn't. I think it's still a toss-up. I mean, I'm surprised that Alabama was part of the final three, but I guess if Alabama offers you, you got to consider them. Yeah. I really th- always thought it was a two-horse race, Georgia-Mizzou. Does he want to go to a program who could win a national title now, or does he want to be a Mizzou legend from day one? What's my priority to him? Like, he comes here, he starts next year. He goes to Georgia. He's a big fish in a in, in a Niagara Falls pond. Like, seriously. Yeah. And so, I mean, look at the wide receivers that have come through that program, and Missouri does have that many guys like that i mean you look at how highly touted mookie cooper and dominic lovett were luther burden is i mean several steps ahead of that in terms of ranking like luther burden is the number two wide receiver in the country this year number six player overall according to 24 7 like mookie cooper was top 100 dominic lovett was top 200 like this is the number six kid like there are five kids in the country who are playing high school football right now that are better than this kid and I'm not sure he's number six based off of how I've seen his tape. This mm-hmm. this kid is incredible. So to say the Missouri's a coin flip away from getting a kid like that, that could be an accurate statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. That's all I was wondering, especially considering what we had last week. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we'll talk more about that next week and maybe see if Missouri can get things kind of back on track after how horrible it went against Tennessee. But for Chris Kwasinski, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time.